Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, you know what? I've got a full lineup for you today and it's a real busy week in real estate. All sorts of things going on. A little bit later in the hour, I'm going to have Romana King join me and we're going to have a great conversation. We're going to talk about what's going out west and what's happening here today. But first, I'm going to bring in Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. He is our mortgage specialist. And Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Thank you. Always a pleasure to have you, Dave. And I got to tell you, the headlines just continue to uh, to fill the newspapers. Everybody's, you know, back talking about real estate. If you noticed, you know, when you and I last talked, it seemed like August kind of quieted down. Everybody didn't want to say the, you know, that the market's going down. But sure enough, all sorts of stuff going on in the marketplace. You know, um, what are you seeing out there? and What's going on? I, we're, we definitely saw a recent uh, spike in activity. Uh, one of the things we've actually seen a lot of, we think, since uh, some of these rate increases is actually a pickup of investors uh, buying properties. Uh, I believe that they're finding that they're not in as much competition as they were previously. They're not necessarily having to uh, go in with firm offers either, and it's created a bit more balance. And investors like balance. So at the end of the day, we've seen a little pickup with our investors. They seem to have kind of taken a bit of a hiatus. I know you know as well as I I do. A lot of the investors looked at how the market was going and, uh, you know, had maybe cooled off a little bit in the summer there to let, you know, wait and see how things went. Uh, but we definitely have seen a pickup, even in the face of increasing interest rates. I mean, we just had another little spike on the fixed rates last week. Uh, we're seeing some, some, some banks are up now over, you know, over 3.19 in the 3.29 range on a five-year fix, which is very different from what you and I were talking about just a couple months ago. So even in the face of some of these increases, we've seen a, a little pickup of activity come up. So, Dave, good point, um, you know, the fact that, you know, I think most people could should be able to still secure something just over 3%. Uh, Bank of Canada is saying that, you know, they're probably just going to put any other rate hikes on hold for the rest of the year. Is that what you're seeing right now? I mean, are, you know, they got rid of the incentive part of it. Are they going to, uh, do you think they'll stay flat for the rest of the year? My, my, my prediction personally, and if I am a prediction guy, is I don't think we'll see any movement on the next two Bank of Canada meetings, and that would complete uh, the rest of the year. I think uh, they've definitely gotten the 0.5 back, the 0.50% back that they had uh, reduced back in 2015 to try to bail out the oil sector. Um, so I think that was all, I think that was clearly their intent, was they wanted to get that back once they saw a little bit increase in inflation. I've also heard rumblings that, you know, the inflation stat that may be coming out uh, shortly uh, may not be where the Bank of Canada was thinking they may be, and that would definitely lead them to cease any type of increase in rates. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people are, you know, concerned about, they always hear what is the best deal out there. And, you know, every spring, you and I have this conversation where, you know, when when a true spring market comes, we start seeing the banks get more internally aggressive. Do you think maybe we're going to start seeing that a little over the next, let's say, three to five months? Because, you know, we've got to run up, you know, we've got people now looking at, as you said, you know, 3.19 as a a five-year fixed. Is it possible that we might see you know, somebody get a little bit more aggressive like BMO did a few years ago and say, hey, listen, folks, I'm still going to give you 299 for a uh, for a five year. You know, you know what? It's very possible. I mean, the opportunity is there. And, and so when you see, you know, we know that there can be some aggression levels come from some of these banks where they feel they can pick up some some extra business. So the, as far as, you know, the perfect storm, I think it's there. I think you could see 
someone start to uh, put something out there that could be very attractive and you know would cause hopefully a little bit of a swing down in the rates. That's obviously the hope that you and I would have. But the perfect storm is there, in my opinion, that there could be someone come out of the gates very shortly. Uh, it really would depend on you know the outlook. I mean, if we if the Bank of Canada is not going to be raising rates, I think that maybe creates the bigger opportunity for someone to jump in and really take advantage of something. So that's definitely it, it could happen for sure. You know, months ago, you and I had that conversation where TD raised their own internal rate. You know, Bank of Canada didn't do anything, but they decided that they wanted to, you know, reap a little bit better of a reward. And then we had a couple other banks follow suit, you know, shortly thereafter. So, you know, what, what a lot of our uh, probably listeners aren't aware is that there's a lot of internal uh, negotiation with a lot of these banks where, you know, they do have that that wiggle room. It's not all about, well, Bank of Canada said, said we have to raise it by this, so we have to, you know, the, the final end product isn't always what the Bank of Canada is telling you. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that which is fairly new to you and I, of course, even as long as we've done this, and that, you know, there were some definite unprecedented moves. Uh, you know, let's, let's not forget, you know, and, and I'm trying to start up a potential campaign here that says, where did the point two go? Because if we remember back in 2015, the Bank of Canada reduced prime by twice by 0.25, so a total of 0.5. The banks only used 0.15 of that decrease and passed it on. The consumers kept 0.1 for themselves. Um, well, Dave, you, you hang on. But you and I both know we saw that we saw the earnings come through. We know exactly where that money went. Oh, well, and you, you, 100% agreement, and that's kind of why I want to get some rumbling started because if we notice, we got that 0.5 is now increased back up this year in those two increases by 0.25, but the banks did not give us back that. Point one that they had taken. So where did the point two go? Right now, the banks are effectively making an extra point two uh, compared to what the Bank of Canada Prime is, and I haven't seen it. It's not coming back to the consumer. So, yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of tough for for yourself being being a you know a broker and and you're watching obviously the finite numbers because it really does come down to, you know, what can people afford? And of course, I know one of the best pieces of advice you've always given people: don't go to your max. You know, it's always you know stay within affordability rates can go up and that's exactly what's happening uh, a lot of pressure right now we're hearing from some of the reports rbc uh released a report saying housing affordability worse since 1990 what do you think of that uh in this day and age i mean that that certainly yeah i think you could spin certain stats a bunch of different ways um you know the, the years they were comparing it to kind of struck me as odd um in my opinion, I mean, there, there, you could you could swing the stats any ways, and I'm sure you could you could focus on places like Toronto, which is an easy way. I mean, we've seen it also in Vancouver, and we haven't necessarily seen them experience any lull since they got over the little land, you know, the fifteen uh, percent uh, tax that they had implemented last year. So I, I think with something like that, the stats can be sun certain ways. I think affordability, at least from what I see, uh, there's nothing outrageous uh, depending on what you know municipality you're in. Certainly. Toronto carries with it its own uh, issues in terms of affordability, um, but a lot of those clients have a lot more down payment, and so that it, it starts to balance itself out. But I'm not necessarily seeing anything on the ground level that would cause for any type of alarm. So speaking of the ground, uh, this past week, the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail came out with 
uh, you know, a contradiction in their headlines. One said Toronto home prices rebound sharply after short slump, sales drop. And then the other one says Toronto housing prices drop for fourth month in a row. Um, you know, this has got to be sending a mixed message to consumers because, you know, it depends on, on, you know, what paper you're reading. But that's com- two completely conflicting, res- uh, you know, reports. But yet we know that the numbers, um, you know, we're, we're kind of returning to more of a normal market. So we're seeing a little bit of a bounce back in September, which, you know, August typically, you know, for everybody's, you know, edification here, August has always been in a normal market, a slower month and September was always a pickup month. Yeah, it's 100% right. I mean, August, a lot of times you want to, you know, as an adult, we want to get our kids out to their final vacation before they go back to school. And there's a lot, we may take our, you know, final week vacation to, to enjoy some of the rest of that summer. And so there's always been a definite August lull in new business. Uh, and then, of course, after the kids are back to school and things start to get back to normal, uh, everyone will kind of, you know, not everyone, but of course, anyone in the market will decide to obviously go and take a look at that. Um, you know, to go back to your point, I mean, you know, with these two contradicting headlines, it kind of goes back to what I'm saying, which you can spin the stats a lot of different ways. I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, in my opinion, you know, someone at the ground level, lots of, you know, realtors, mortgage brokers, uh, we would normally be the first ones to really be able to see if there's any, uh, any issues going on. And you and I had talked about some of the issues that we had saw that were on the horizon, you know, when this market was in its peak zone. Um, but at the time right now, I would say I haven't necessarily noticed anything out of the ordinary uh, in terms of up, down. I mean, it, it seems to be a, a normal pickup since, uh, since Labor Day. And, um, you know, rates have also been increasing. So normally that should, you know, lead to a bit of a slower uh, set of business. But we are noticing there's definitely been a pickup. Um, I could definitely report that. Condominium sales, uh, prices seem to be spiking. Are you finding lots of first-time home buyers coming through your market? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's still, in terms of the first-time buyers, I think what, why we're noticing a bit of the condo spike is that, you know, the pricing of the condos is, is a lot more affordable than, uh, than some of the properties that we've seen in some of the different cities. Uh, so I think what we're seeing is, is, is the condo market could be getting a little spike based on just that September kind of run-in due to the pricing. Um, and we've seen rates go up. I mean, as rates are going up, that means people's maximum prices or their affordability the levels are going to be cut down in terms of the price that they can purchase a home. So that could lead them back into the condo sector as opposed to going to a freehold home or, or something of that nature. Yeah. So one last point, Jay, Dave. Um, you know, they're they're looking at changing how people are qualifying in conventional mortgages. We, you know, we're waiting for the ruling on that. What do you foresee happening in the near future with that? Well, it's funny with that. I have a pretty interesting, strong point on that in that right now when you purchase a property and you're putting down less than 20% down, that that stress test, they call it, that higher qualifying rate has been in place for quite some time now since since one of the more recent rule changes. Um, And if a lot of people don't realize that when you are putting down 20% or more, uh, with working with a bank or an institution, um, if you're uh, qualifying for a variable rate or a one-year, two-year, three-year, or four-year fix, you have to qualify at that stress test anyway. So believe it or not, the change that they're talking about is the one, the final change where they will make it so that when you are applying for a five-year fixed rate at 20% down or more, you will have to qualify at that stress test rate. So the idea is that they've been doing this for years. This is just the last 
one that they can do this on. This is literally the last piece of the puzzle in terms of increasing our qualifying rates. They started it with the insured mortgages. It worked its way across on all variable rates in one- and two-year and three-year and four-year fixed rates, and now it's just going to go and hit the five-year fixed rate. So to me, to be quite honest, I don't necessarily see this as being uh, earth-shattering. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Dave, always a pleasure. Best way for our listeners to reach you? Uh, feel free to contact our office at one 684 8326 And, of course, they can go to any of our websites. There's butlermortgage.ca and a host of others. Excellent. Well, Dave, always a pleasure to have you on. Um, you know what? As things change over the next few months, we'll stay in touch, and that way we can update the listeners. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Todd. Have a good one. Thanks so much, folks. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And coming up after the break, I've got Romana King joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, I've got Romana King joining me, and it's always great to have her. By the way, she is director of content at Zolo as well, real estate expert, author, columnist, editor. I, I mean, Romana, I have to say, every time I talk, I always take think about how big your business card has to be because you've had so <laughs> many amazing titles. But I'll always uh, you know, defer to saying that you are always a real estate expert. So welcome back to the show. Yes, thank you for having me. Lots going on. <laughs> you know, it seems like every single time you and I talk, and I think we probably do it about once a month or well, maybe once every six weeks or, or once every two months. And in the end, you know, we always have so much to talk about. I think we could probably talk every single week because <laughs> of the moving landscape of real estate. So um, just to let our listeners know, you are out in the West Coast. A lot of uh, a lot of people would remember you from being here in Toronto and, and being an editor and everything. But now you've gone to the West Coast. And I always like starting off with our conversations about the Vancouver and British Columbia market because it kind of gives everybody a little bit of a peripheral on what's going on in the outer outer areas. So tell me, what is happening in your market? Well, I mean, it's been a, a sort of a frothy start to the year, and then there was a bit of a dip because of uh, all the stuff that was happening with, you know, foreign buyers. And then they came back, foreign buyers came back, and so now we're realizing that, you know, condos are up again, um, I think, uh, Condo and townhome sales in the greater Vancouver area are up 25% from a year ago. So all the predictions that the market would crash, that all the you know government intervention, the removal of foreign buyers, it really hasn't occurred in the, in the Vancouver area. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you, and you know, you and I have had extensive conversations regarding what's happened in Ontario, and, and and we'll talk a little bit later about that. Do you see perhaps the British Columbia government stepping in and maybe putting more of a, a stranglehold on things? I mean, they did throw in the the foreign buyer tax, uh, as everybody knows, last August, you know, you saw and, and were there firsthand watching the market, uh, you know, recede. Didn't crash, but, you know, I, I think, you know, a, a significant enough adjustment. And now, as you said, you've got, you've started to see a run up, prices are up, mar- you know, the market's gaining strength. Do you, is there going to be some extra pressure put on the government to say, hey, listen, uh, you know, we've got a runaway market? Well, that's an extremely interesting question in very interesting times. And that's, you know, I state that based on some of the Chinese proverb that interesting times aren't always the best of times. You've got a government in BC right now that is definitely very aware of public sentiment. They're really trying to distance themselves from very unpopular decisions made by the former Liberal government. Uh, They're trying to make good on some political promises in order to get into office. Um, I think right now, uh, anyone involved in real estate can rest a little bit easy because they have their hands full with the the Tinder pipeline right now with uh, all the oil and gas and the pipeline coming from Alberta and the the fight with Trudeau and with uh, Alberta's premier. So they might have their hands full right now with, with oil and gas 
uh, initiatives. Uh, if, however, the market doesn't sort of uh, balance out, uh, start to level off, you might get some public pressure putting, you know, pressure on the, 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 the uh, BC government to try and do something. And they definitely strike me as a government that will react. Um, so we might see additional, uh, you know, government policy, government intervention. And I think that's a bit of a mistake. I think at some point you need to let the market correct itself. And right now we already know rates are going to go up, and that will have an impact on markets, particularly in Vancouver and Toronto. You know, inter- interestingly enough, you and I had that conversation last year in around May 2016 that we started seeing kind of, you know, the, the, the chink in the armor. The, the market started to slow down naturally. Of course, you know, a lot of heat on the idea that foreign buyers were controlling the market so the bc government jumped in on it and now you're starting to see a rebound you know foreign buyers are accepting the fact that they're paying the extra tax or maybe they're doing a workaround figuring out another way around it um but you know one of the things that uh with the recent rate increases you know I, I, I would say it's probably smarter for the government to set, you know, step back and, and let's see what happens because that's just a natural progression of any market as opposed to, you know, putting in undue pressure on it. Do you think the rate increase is going to, you know, tame the market at all out in British Columbia? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the, the number one factor for affordability has been the low interest rates. Low interest rates have allowed people to get into that 20, 25-year home. They assume they're going to buy a 20, 25-year home. We know life occurs, and people change jobs, and they get divorced, and they move cities, and so they don't really end up living in a, in a home for 20, 25 years. But people are buying those you know, big, large, expensive homes with the idea that they're going to live in them for that long. And for that, the reason being is because it's so cheap. I mean, interest rates are astronomically low still, even with a few tick po- uh, points up. And uh, people are getting in. And if you see interest rates rise, what you're going to see is, uh, is affordability erode quite dramatically. Yeah. No, you, you made, made an interesting comment. And, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll come to Ontario eventually here with our conversation. But when we talk about BC for a second, you know, um, what, when, you, when we're talking some of the bigger homes, and just for our listeners' sake, how long are some of these people keeping the homes? I mean, you know, in, in the GTA, we found a turnover market between three and five years. You have a lot of move-up buyers. And even when they think they're in their, the final home, it seems like people are still bunny-hopping houses. You know, there may be max in five, seven years the idea of a home you know holding a home back in the baby boomer generation for 25 years or 30 years it's kind of going by the wayside what uh, what is the number what are the numbers looking like in bc it's it, it's it's great that you mentioned that because i think that across canada whether you're in bc or you're in you know the maritimes it really has stood the test of time that we don't stay at home for 20 25 years anymore if you buy a new build so a house that's you know from the builder fresh off the lot no one has bought it um, the average that someone will stay in that home is actually about three years, which is quite it's significantly less than what you would assume. Quite often, though, people, for whatever reason, they buy a new build and they decide they want to either move up, move down, move away, whatever the case may be, but they buy that new build and then move out. For a resale home, so a home that's already built, it's on the market and being resold, people stay between five and seven years, and that translates across the board, whether you're in Vancouver or in, or in uh, Toronto. I think what you see and what skews the numbers a little bit is that in Vancouver and Toronto, you have more speculation. So people that get into the market, they buy the older home, they renovate it, and in you know 12 to 18 months, they put back on the market. 
market. And that skews it a little bit closer to the three-year mark. But I think it's anywhere between three and seven years people are living in and then moving. Right. And and again, of course, when people are doing that, they're realizing, as you said, the uptick in the, in the, in the price, which means that there's uh, no capital gains on that sale. If it's a primary residence, they've been over there, there over a year. So again, people are you know pulling equity. Again, not quite a speculation if they're there three to five years. I think they're just realizing some profit. Yeah, and so the, the golden rule is if you need to hold a home, whether it's a, a you know a, a, an investment or whether it's a primary residence, you need to hold it for about three years, and that means that you have then enough equity in the home, and you've overcome the transactional costs on both ends to actually see some profit if the market doesn't crash. So it's about a three-year hold for real estate. It's not a short-term buy. Um, I think that the problem that we see with speculators is, or, or even people that you know buy a home and want to sell it, is they assume they have to hold it for a year, and then they won't be charged that capital gains tax, and because it's, you, they can shelter down the primaries. And it, it's really important for for listeners to understand there is no time you can you can own a primary residence for one day and it's still your primary residence. Right. Um, there's no time limit on on a primary residence. It, the, the, what what the CRA is looking for is is this is this your primary residence? Have you actually lived in this? Sure. Can you prove that you've lived in it? And if it's not, are you on occasional? Like, are you? buying and selling it occasionally, it's not your business, or is this your business? And they're cracking down hard on the business. So if you've in any way, shape, or form are making money off real estate, they're going to try and find you. Ramona, I'm going to ask you to hang on. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk more with you. Folks, we'll be right back with Ramona King. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Ramana King, and she is Director of Content at Zolo. She's also a real estate expert, and I'm pretty sure you've read a lot of her articles in the past. Ramana, just before the break, you and I were talking about the idea of people holding homes a little bit longer than, you know, the average time, or, or really where the average sits. And, you know, when we talk about new construction, it seems like they're kind of there three to five years, maybe if they're buying resale, maybe five to seven. Um, the idea that people, as long as it's a primary residence, there's no set time for them to uh, to uh, you know not have to pay capital gains. But most importantly, I think people have to realize that if you're doing this on a regular basis, as you had mentioned, you know the CRA is going to start cracking down, saying, "Hey, listen, if this is your source of income, then you know we want our our cut of it." So yeah, it, and, and it's tough because people have been caught up in this these audits, and they're they're not using it as a part. So there was an example I was talking to an accountant and a gentleman and bought a condo and a, a pre-sale condo so he bought it off the specs um, bought a condo fell in love with a woman in Guelph uh, moved to Guelph before the condo was finally finished uh, condo was finished decided you know what I'm not going to move back I fall in love I'm going to get married I'm going to stay in Guelph decided to, to sell the condo CRA decided to do an audit and decided you know no you're going to have to pay income tax so marginal rate of your tax rate, not capital gains tax, which is a much more preferable rate because you pay less tax. And so you had to actually get an accountant and fight that and show show that it wasn't an investment. This was an intention to move in. Just life took over and he fell in love. So, I mean, the CRA is definitely cracking down. They're closing those loopholes. And we've seen this in the last year. They're closing loopholes when it comes to making money on real estate and not declaring the income in an, in an appropriate way. 
Yeah, I think I think people and and, and I appreciate you being so uh, exact about the warning because I think people have to realize, you know, the people that were the speculators that were doing the the flips even with by assignment, that they have to realize this is now a business. It's not capital gains. You are now going to the, whatever you make is being added to your actual income for that year, uh, from a tax uh, taxation standpoint. So if somebody makes a hundred thousand dollars on a property, they better be ready to pay the taxes on it. Exactly. And I think there's some very smart strategic ways that you can still work within the confines of the tax rules and minimize those taxes. But just trying to avoid it is just not smart, particularly since, you know, investing in real estate can be very profitable um, and it can be very tax efficient if done correctly. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing. So, Romana, let's let's come a little bit east. Let's come to you know the what I would consider the biggest market in Canada, and all from for you know for for some of the reports, also the one of the most uh, unaffordable or the bubble-like market in the world. So, a couple of yeah. reports out recently. Pretty sure you saw them as well as I did. You know, people are calling the that Toronto was the most overinflated, and meanwhile, we're in a bit of a decline in price. Yeah, well, what you're seeing is you're seeing um, you're seeing market react to market, uh, and I think that there is some truth to some of these reports coming out here saying it's an inflated market. We saw a massive run up in prices at the start of this year in the in the uh, April May. I mean, the 27 numbers they started in January and they just skyrocketed. So by the time we hit the March April you know prime selling season, they were way above what was normally historically seen, and so what we're starting to see now is we've started to see a correction. I think what we also saw was people realizing, oh, this bubble hasn't gone away. I need to get my product on the market. So you've got builders getting their their new homes on the market, and you've got flippers, resellers that are getting their home. And you've got homeowners saying, maybe I can still capture this. And you've got a flood of this activity coming in at a time when things are so inflated that buyers just pulled out. They just said, this is not affordable, even with low interest rates. And they just pulled out. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough from that report, though, these people actually, one of the reports came out and it's actually, um, I, and I will say they're definitely non, not non-profit, <laughs> you know, it's a company that advises. So they, they make money for investing for foreign investors. And so, you know, they've pretty much, uh, you know, put a put a highlight on tr- on Toronto market saying, listen, you know, it's a dangerous market to invest in. We're, we're considering it a bubble market. Meanwhile, I think the report was probably coming off the the first two quarters of the year, not really taking into effect that uh, what we've seen in the summer where we've seen the market actually fall down. Recent reports saying that year over year, September to September, we're up only 2.6%. You know, you and I would both consider that more of a normal market. Uh, um, you know, what's your take on the numbers that are coming through right now? I think you just highlighted that exceptionally well. I think it is a normal market, but because you've seen such a huge run-up and such double-digit increases in a very short period of time, suddenly that becomes the new norm. It's not. That was, an, uh, you know, a, a blip, a statistical blip where people were getting frothy. Right? And that, that signifies a bubble is when people get frothy. When you go back down to the 2 to 3% increases, that's a normal market. That's a good, solid market. And if you can get a well-priced, well-positioned home or real estate investment in, you know, that's not overpriced and you have to do your due diligence on that, then I think that you're buying into a stable market. Um, understanding that it's a, it's a longer hold than a, you know, a year or two years. You know, hold it for 3 to 5 to 10 years. Hold that investment and, and watch it appreciate over time. 
time. Um, one of the things that I found very interesting is that uh, Chubb has all these housing markets, and, and one of the things that they actually track is the affordability indicator over the years. I mean, it goes back to 1986, I think, and the worst year was around the 1988, 1989, and, and anyone who lived through that time knew that that was a bubble. It, it crashed shortly after that, and, and people struggled within the industry and within the economy. You know, interest rates were astronomically high at the same time, and that was close to 55 percent, um, 55 percent affordability. You know, in 2016, starting into 2017, it was getting up to the 45 percent mark. So we're still not there yet, but it was certainly creeping up. Yeah. You know, interesting. Um, I had uh, Benjamin Tall from CIBC World Markets on last week, and yeah. he, he called it a blip. He, he, uh-huh. deemed, he deemed the spring market of 2017 to be a blip, and he thinks that eventually it'll be erased from, from history books, or at least that's what he was hoping for. And, and, you know, great conversation with him. And he did say, listen, I don't believe this is a bubble market. He said, I think that people, you know, have now realized that this was just, you know, speculators, you know, uh-huh. pulling profit. People were running, running at it to pull profit. Now, you know what, we should see a little bit more of a normal market, you know, looking at the Bank of Canada, he's pretty much saying that thinks they're going to be very cautious over the next little while. They, they erased the incentive, you know, the 0.5 incentive to, to prime there. But now we could probably look at a little bit more of a stabilized market. But you know, this week, one of the things and, and, and you know, you being a, a journalist, and, and editor the way you've been for so many years, you know, I've always, you know, admired your articles, they are a point you know, spot on. But this week, the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail had completely conflicting headlines. One said Toronto home prices rebound sharply after short slump sales drop. And then the other one said Toronto housing prices drop for fourth month. And they all want to quote Treb. And I'm just wondering, is there another Treb out there that you and I aren't aware of? Well, this this is the danger (laughs) with statistics, right? Statistics are just a number. It's the spin you put on that number that counts, right? Right. And I would actually agree with Paul. I I think that Benjamin is absolutely, I mean, he's a, a... excellent economist. I've quoted him in the past. I've spoken to him in the past, and he knows his stuff. And, and I actually agree with him. I think it is a blip. I think that what we saw was auction-like environment. And everyone knows that in an auction, people get frothy and, and excited, and they just start bidding, bidding, bidding. And, and that's why auctions work. That's why they generate you know returns for their investors. And I think that's what we saw was an auction on the Toronto market. And part of that was because it's been you know hot. It's been on fire. The economy's starting to pick up. So what do you get? You get people getting excited, and now it's the spring market. Market, which is often quite quite heavier in terms of activity, and then you got this sort of frothy appeal, and people ran in. I think that we are going to return to normal. I think what we're seeing is we're you know sales are starting to blip upwards again, and inventory is blipping upwards, and what we're seeing is a return to the norm, and that's a good thing. But you know. As media people, what do we try and do? We try and create the story out of the numbers. And so we look at the numbers and we try and figure out the best way to tell that story. And you have to look at the framework. Are they looking at four months of stats? Are they comparing to last year? I mean, if you compare it to last year, 2016 is going to go down in the history books as one of the astronomical years. It beat all sales records. So if you compare it to 2016, you're going to see very different headlines than if you compare it to, say, 2010 or 2011. Yeah. So we really need to understand the framework in which, you know, looking at TREB statistics, exactly what TREB statistics, how long are they looking, what are they comparing to? You know, I'm looking at, you know, stats, you know, from 2016 September and 2017 September, and, and any house over, you know, that's worth over between $1 million and $2.5 million, it was on the market for 12 days in 2016. It was on the market for 17 days in 2017. Is it an astronomical difference? Not really, but when you look at statistics, you know, five days makes a huge 
difference when it comes to statistics. So I can build a great headline on that. Yeah, excellent. Uh, listen, Romano, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always love talking and uh, definitely, you know, we'll be in touch soon and bring you back just so we can keep everybody up to date. Thank you so much, Todd. Folks, that was Romana King and she is Director of Content at Zolo. Hey, listen, coming up after the break, I've got Robert Hogue, Senior Economist from RBC. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Always a pleasure to have Romana join us and keeping us up to date on both West and East Coasts. But joining me now is Mr. Robert Hogue. He is a Senior Economist with RBC. And Mr. Hogue, thank you so much for joining the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. One of the things that uh, we've been seeing a lot in the news lately is the fact that there is uh, uh, some recent reports saying housing affordability worse since 1990. Is it possible for you to kind of elaborate for our listeners? Because I don't know if people really understand what, you know, true affordability is when when you're doing the calculations. Yeah, obviously what we're looking at here is that ownership affordability as opposed to, you know, renting affordability, for example. And uh, the way we look at affordability is in terms of the uh, percentage of household income that would be required uh, to uh, pay for the cost of home ownership. And that, by that, uh, we mean uh, mortgage payments, um, utilities, and property taxes. So as a percentage of household income, if you were to buy, say, for example, today, at today's market price and at today's interest rates, overall in Canada, we're looking at uh, uh, this, this uh, housing affordability measure to be slightly under 47%. So it would, be, it would take in Canada slightly less than, than half of somebody's like a income, like a, a typical family's income, uh, to carry the cost of, of uh, owning a home at today's prices. When we go back and we take a look at 1990, where was the number at that point? At that point, it was uh, much uh, closer to uh, 60%. It was uh, around 55%, in fact. We're still not there. That's overall in Canada. Obviously, you've got cities like uh, like Toronto and Vancouver that are effectively in uncharted territory here, where the costs today are the highest that they've ever been, roughly speaking. Uh, but for overall in Canada, we've we've had episodes back in 1990 where uh, that 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 share of income was was higher than it is today, or at least in the second quarter of this year. But nonetheless, it it, it really means that uh, housing affordability is really stretched at this point in in Canada. When the study was uh, performed, was this based on the second quarter of 2017? Was that the numbers that they were utilizing? Uh, this is the uh, most recent report, yes, does, does cover up to uh, the second quarter of this year, so the period from, uh, from April to, to June. Uh, right. Since then, we've, we've, we've seen that like, uh, the markets uh, have, have, have moved a bit, and markets like Toronto has, has cooled a little bit, but now we'll have a, a better sense of the impact on affordability in, uh, in our next report. Right. And now, just so I know, the, are these reports released uh, every quarter for people to have a better understanding of them? Oh, absolutely. This is something that RBC has done since the mid-80s. We're, we're covering, we're, we're uh, monitoring uh, housing af- uh, affordability in, uh, in that, uh, uh, using that measure. That, that, that's something that, that's been done for, for many, many years. And it, it is a report for anyone interested that we post on our website. It's, it's, so it's available publicly. 
Yeah, I think it's a very valuable thing because for a lot of people, you know, they get so caught up in the idea of purchasing and owning real estate. And, you know, the, the, the most recent market, obviously, the run up, everybody got excited and they just felt that they had to and they were probably taking undue risks in, in certain parts of the market. With the market adjusting down, as, as you had mentioned, you know, we've got the GTA market that has, you know, started to recede a little um, from, from the peak. You know, we're probably looking somewhere around about a 15 to 18% adjustment from the peak as of let's say today but we still see an increase let's say year over year so September to September about 2.8 percent as far as an increase uh, you know year over year when we take a look at affordability obviously there's there's you know factors that have to be brought in and if we're like looking at things such as income um, what what kind of factors are you using for the calculation for income are is, is there kind of an inflationary number like if if the market can stay, if the real estate market, you know, matches inflation, will that help when we're looking at wages? Well, obviously, the way our affordability measure works is, is really as, as effective if, if you ignore uh, uh, the other housing costs like uh, utilities and property taxes for, for a moment. It really is an issue of, of the, the, the uh, uh, interaction between home prices, interest rates, and household uh, income. So if right. you have rising income, obviously it, it helps to improve affordability, everything else remaining uh, equal. Uh, however, if you have rising prices, everything remain, uh, remaining equal means it, it, it does erode affordability and, and similar with, uh, with interest rates. When you have interest rates uh, rising, it means that your mortgage payments uh, will will rise and therefore it, it does erode uh, affordability. So, so it really is the interplay between those three, roughly uh, speaking, those, those three uh, three variables. Uh, let, let me just uh, go back at, uh, uh, quickly on, on the comments you just made about the, the Toronto market, uh, uh, the, the various uh, uh, correction uh, numbers that you've quoted there. These are about uh, Toronto prices. Uh, average prices that we've seen uh, uh, moving down in the Toronto area. Uh, the correction has been much more significant if you look at uh, home resale activity. Uh, that between the month of uh, April to the month of July, for example, uh, home resale uh, fell by about 45, uh, 44%. Uh, which is in our book quite quite significant. Now the impact on prices has has not been quite as as material because uh, uh, the the uh, uh, supply demand equation has eased, but not to the point of becoming a, a full blown buyer's market. Uh, but uh, there's still some more downward pressure still in the system as we speak. Right now, when when but demand for the actual product doesn't really have any relevancy to affordability because if the end product is being sold and that's the actual commitment that somebody's actually paying versus their actual income and interest rates, so if if I mean is demand really that much of a factor? I mean, if the prices aren't running up based on demand, if we're just calculating strictly demand, is that not really, you know, it's kind of a mute point, is it not? Because end well, result is really what people are paying. Uh, at the end of the day, I think what feeds into that affordability, like I said, it's, it's the home prices, interest rates, and, and household income, but with more specifically uh, about uh, home prices. Uh, ultimately, what determines it is demand and supply, uh, and right. so and, and the and the movements in demand and supply is does not necessarily uh, translate into an immediate 
that uh, impact on prices. Sometimes there's a bit of a delay because of you know, market psychology. It takes a while for a seller to accept a lower price. So there's a bit of inertia at some point. This is what we've seen uh, at least through the spring and early summer. And then it was a bit of a standoff between buyers and sellers in the GTA. Price is not moving that much. Uh, but since then, it looks like the sellers are coming around to the fact that you know, we no longer have just overheated market conditions that we had at the start of this year and are accepting or even asking for lower prices than than they would have had a few, just a few months ago. So, but but the point is is uh, you can't ignore you can't say demand does not it, uh, is uh, is irrelevant or supply is irrelevant. Everything is sort of irrelevant in, in a way because they all uh, uh, have an implication on prices. Ultimately, an implication on prices at some at one po- at some point. Excellent. Mr. Hogue, uh, just one last thought. Um, when we take a look at affordability, I'm pretty sure that RBC also keeps their eyes on, on world markets. Um, is, is Toronto and if we look at um, Vancouver, are they, are they pretty much at the top of the world affordability markets uh, or are there other markets that are, are far exceeding it? Or you mean or the unaffordability? Yeah, unaffordability. Sort of. Yes. Yeah. So. And and um, well, I mean, these are difficult to really compare to compare Apple with Apple uh, across the world. But it's it's well known fact that the market for uh, of like Vancouver, for example, is among the the most expensive uh, ones in uh, in the world. But you know, still, some would point out it's nowhere the league of say uh, Hong Kong or Monaco or other places where you have uh, uh, prices that are just out of uh, out of this world. Uh, uh, but it is clear um, that. Uh, the Vancouver and Toronto in particular are very expensive. Now, whether they are more expensive than London and in, in UK, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to tell. It's probably not quite there yet, uh, but it is, it is quite clear that those are uh, expensive markets. Excellent. Um, Mr. Hogue, any, any words of advice that you can give our listeners at this time? Well, to, to keep to, to be very cautious. I mean, what we're experiencing now is is a significant uh, uh, shift taking place in terms of uh, interest rates. Now, keep in mind that interest rates have been trending lower for almost 30 years now, and the what we've seen from the Bank of Canada this summer, in our view, signals the start of uh, of, of a, a turn in that uh, in that trend. So we're looking at an upward trend. Now, I'm not saying that interest rates are going to jump significantly in the period ahead. But uh, for the, both buyers and sellers out there, this, this world of ultra-low interest rates, I think, is, is, is coming to an end. And, and the market dynamics are likely to change going forward. Excellent. Well, Mr. Hogue, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. I greatly appreciate all your insight, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and keep our eye on the market and perhaps you know, reach out to you on your next report. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. That was Mr. Robert Hogue. He is Senior Economist at RBC. So I'd like to thank all my guests today. You know, it's been a real busy hour. Uh, Dave Butler, of course, from Butler Mortgage, Ramona King. She's a real estate expert. Of course, most of you know her as an author, but she's also Director of Content at Zola. And just uh, just now, I had Mr. Robert Hogue, Senior Economist at RBC. 
always a pleasure to have uh, have these uh, guests on and they are so knowledgeable so uh, you know I just want to thank them all and I also want to thank you for tuning in it's always a pleasure to bring you what's going on in the market you know what folks it's going to be an interesting next 6 to 12 months and we're going to try to keep you up to date on everything I want to thank uh, Andre and Ian my producers for making sure that uh, they keep it simple for me and again I will be back next week Saturday at 3pm so for all of us here at News Talk 1010, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate.